Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, today is Tuesday, November 28th. We got a great show today, guys. Bob Ferrante uh, covers FSU, all things FSU. Going to break down the Seminoles with him in lieu of tonight's college football playoff rankings that are going to be unraveled. Uh, you know, break down their season they've had so far, and then especially going in to the, uh, you know, next week's ACC championship game and the playoff rankings, like I just said, in general. Great, great interview with him coming up. Going to break down NFL uh, week 12, like we always do. Closest game, most intriguing storyline, all that like we always do. I do want to touch base, though, real fast, though, guys, on Tom Brady's comments that he made last week about the NFL being a mediocre product. I know we kind of already touched on it very, very briefly last week, but I did want to go through it a little bit further more uh, this, you know, in opening today. What are you guys' thoughts on it in general? Like I said, Zach, I know you already kind of alluded to it last week, what your thoughts on it as well. but I. I think it is an interesting topic of conversation just in general with how the NFL has been this year. Uh, Penalties have been a big issue. Uh, NFL is changing. I mean, then scoring's down. We'll get into that. Uh, You know, play calling's a lot lot different now. A lot, you know, know, protect the players more. Calls are being made to protect the players more. What all all do you guys think about, you know, these comments? Zach, do you have anything else to add? Justin, do you want to add anything? Like, what what else do you guys have to really say about these comments and Tom Brady saying uh, NFL kind of, you know, declining in value a little bit here. I don't think he's off base because I don't think there's as many great quarterbacks as there were in his era. I mean, think about this. Ten years ago, we had Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers. Like, every big-time team had an elite quarterback. Eli Manning was even in that conversation. We don't really have that now. We've got a couple of guys that are obviously great. But this season in particular, just think of the injuries. You know, Aaron Rodgers out for the season. Sean Watson out for the season. Joe Burrow out for the season. When you don't have great quarterback play, the league tends to be a little bit boring. I mean, so I I get what he's saying. I don't think this is the week to uh, say that the NFL is boring because we had a lot of great games yesterday. But I totally understand his point because if you don't have elite quarterback play, then, yeah, sometimes it becomes an unwatchable mess. Just look at, you know, the Patriots-Giants game yesterday, for instance. But, no, I, I don't think he's entirely off base. And if anybody's qualified to make that kind of comment, it's obviously Tom Brady. Yeah, League definitely did not like him making that comment. Not somebody like him, for sure. Scoring, though, has been down. Uh, Fourth consecutive season in the NFL. Uh, Teams are combining to score just 43.3 points per game. That's down from 43.8 last season and 45.9 in 2021. The league is on pace for its lowest scoring season on average since 2009, when teams combined for 42.9 points a game. They want to bring it up too, just in light of Alex Smith's comments. I think he was on ESPN. Uh, the you know, there's some Sunday more uh, Sunday NFL countdown on ESPN. I think he was kind of yeah. snapping snapping back a little bit at these comments yesterday by Brady. Uh, you know, he's saying you know quarterback play is at an all time high. He uh, you know scoring is down because defensive linemen are much better than they've always been. They're probably the best they've ever been in you know his entire career. He said so. That's another thing to keep in mind too. But I don't like like you said, Zach. I don't think. Tom Brady's comments were completely offline. Uh, I do think the game is changing a little bit, though, and uh, a lot of this play-calling schemes and the coaching decisions is is leading to lower-scoring games, which is a good thing and also a bad thing at the same time, of course, like we just said. 
I'll say this, too, about defenses this year. This is a much better year for defenses. And last year, yeah, I mean, it was better for offenses, but for defenses this year, it's been better. That's what I will say. But the offense, but I feel like there is better quarterback play uh, than there were than there was 30 years ago. I think we can agree on that. Offensive play, too. But this isn't a defensive first mm-hmm. league like it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even when Brady first stepped into the league. I mean, some of the penalties are completely, you know, are completely uncalled for, like roughing the passer. And the thing with roughing the passer is it's, it's way too enforced. It's way too enforced on defensive side of the ball. And <clears throat> with the, with the roughing the passer penalties, they got to They, they may have to stop calling that penalty to be honest with you. Even, I mean, even if it's, you know, yeah. intentional, I mean, I would say that there's, there should be some intentional calls and whatnot, but there's too many penalties. There's too many uncalled for penalties. And Aaron Rodgers kind of echoed the same thing. He said, well, yeah, it's a softness, not just in the league, but outside of sports yeah. and, you know, not going to get into the whole societal thing and whatnot. But, um, you know, this this should have been a – I mean – for the league to do this, I mean, they need to start uh, start calling less penalties too, and then the quarterback play should obviously be better. Um, like I said last week, there should be more of, of a grace period for rookie quarterbacks in the league, um, <clears throat> first round quarterbacks especially. Um, you don't need to you don't need to play them. You don't need to play them. Uh, for the first game and just yeah. throw them out there. Just give them some time. Give them, give them some time to develop the playbook. And we've seen the Jets do that. We've seen a lot of teams do that. But I don't think it's that bad of a mediocre product. I think the NFL needs to get things in order. Again, the TV yeah. ratings are up, right? The TV ratings are up. The The money is up in the matters. league, obviously. And, yeah. and that matters. And that obviously matters. matters. Ratings are the first thing that matters. That's right. That is the first thing that matters. One of the biggest things Tom Brady said in his quotes, uh, just being about the the play calling, like you said, Justin, just how the play calling is a lot more predicated on protecting players and how players need to protect themselves because – uh, you know, you've heard a lot of people say this too. It wasn't just Tom Brady. Many other players have came out and said this in the past as well about how the game used to be a lot tougher. And refs weren't looking out for players back then when they played. So I think uh, a lot of players are kind of looking at the game now and it might be a little bit more soft uh, given the fact that, you know, a lot of play calls, like you said, Justin, are predicated on protecting the players and keeping them safe. But um, at the end of the day, who knows? I mean, it's players a lot faster, a lot stronger this, uh, you know, now than they were even 10 years ago a lot especially a lot faster so maybe it is nice to have uh play calls to uh you know calling fouls i I should say excuse me to protect players but at the end of the day uh, i still think it's good to have things in place to protect players because at the end of the day if players get injured well then they're not going to play and then that's going to be a bad product as well so especially on the quarterback side of the ball right i think the league is developing you know, as we're talking about, the league is developing into a more protective league for the players and, 
you know, more protective yeah. here and more protective there. But I think it's I think at the same time it's a little bit overblown. And at the same time, I think the league is involved is evolving. It is evolving from what it was twenty years ago, thirty years ago. But at the same time, I don't think it should stop evolving, but I don't think it should become flag football, which I don't think it'll ever be. As I know that some former players have said that. I know some uh, analysts even has said, you know, and fans have said this is going to be flag football. I it better not be. Yeah. It better not save be because that the, ruins the product of the league. And save, save, I don't believe it. The Pro will. Bowl, yeah. Save it for <laughs> the, the Olympics. Um, I do want to move on, guys. Before we move on to our recap of week week twelve overall, I do want to move on to just some fr- uh, coaching fires. Biggest one mm-hmm. being obviously Frank Wright out for the Panthers. I don't really know what else to make of this. The Panthers have to do something. Uh, they're now 1-10 in 10 leading into next week, week 13. Uh, obviously wasn't getting it done. I don't know who else will get it done for the Panthers. I don't know who else they go after next. I don't know what else they do going forward. But even just to make the, the fans happy, they had to move on from Frank Wright. Yeah, it's an organizational issue. Well, I think it's a – yeah, it is. It's an organizational issue and – to be honest, Frank Reich is not the main problem in uh, in Carolina. He was not the main problem. Uh, this is a management issue, and taking uh, Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud is a big mistake. He wanted C.J. Stroud. Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud over that. Bryce Young, and that is going to come back to bite the Yeah, Panthers. that was the owner. David Tepper might be the worst owner in the NFL. He's making all these personnel decisions. None of them have worked. The head coaches have not worked. Uh, the trades certainly have not worked. And not only are they 1-10, in 10, they're 1-10 in 10 and they don't get their number one pick. If the Panthers end up with the worst record in the league, it's going to be the Bears pick. So the Panthers really don't have a whole lot of room to get better. And that's that's the thing. When you take... When you make the wrong decision at quarterback, it affects everything about your franchise. If they had C.J. Stroud, everything would be different. Now, I don't know if C.J. would be as good in Carolina as he is in Houston because I think Houston has more weapons, but certainly the Panthers would be in a lot better position than they are right now. I think this is on ownership. I just happen to think Frank Reich is the fall guy for this, and he shouldn't have to be. I don't think Frank Reich's a great coach. I'm a Colts fan. I'm certainly aware of Frank Reich and what he did not do in Indianapolis, but I am not going to say that Frank Reich is the big issue in, in Carolina. It's the owner. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. Yeah, the owner, obviously, as we just mentioned. But another thing I was going to say, which I could absolutely see them doing, and this will be bogus for what we just talked about uh, with the league and being a mediocre product with, I mean, with teams tanking too. I, I could see the Panthers going into a tank mode like the Sixers did. Uh, you know, back in the process, because basically Maybe next year they're going to tank. Next, because they're obviously they tank, are, yeah. they are already next they year. Can't take any tank anymore now, but yeah, yeah no, that was that's going back to what you said two sec. I mean, that was kind of my point. I he's a fall guy. I think they yeah. had to just do something because to make the fans, you know, give give the fans something this season. Do you, did you think they'd be this bad though? I didn't think they'd be this bad. Not 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 one. No. I did not think no. it would be this bad, and that and Justin said it right. Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud. That's why, as a head coach, sometimes you know you're at the mercy of your owner. If you have a good owner that will listen to you, then you're going to be in good shape. If you don't, then this is exactly what happens to you. Yeah, especially being in the NFC South, I did not think they would be this bad. Um, t- yeah. Well, he'll go back to Philadelphia yeah. probably because Nick Sirianni and. 
I mean, he's he was with the Eagles in 2017 with the Super Bowl run, and and uh, you know he has a lot of respect for the Gordon, ownership there. Gordon, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, other one, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Special yeah, advisor, Jack Del Rio. That, also, does that out. mean Jeff Saturday is going to be the head coach of the Panthers? We saw Frank Reich get fired midseason last yeah, year. Who knows? And it turned out to be Jeff Saturday. So who is the uh, who's the ESPN analyst that's never coached before that the Carolina Panthers are going to go get to replace Frank Reich? There you go, Brian There it is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, bring bring in Ryan Clark. RG three They'll and be at RG three to play quarterback pick. too. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, the Browns auditioned for the Browns. Yeah. Jack they, might, they might want to take him up on it the way he's going. Yeah, or at least something. I mean, yeah, yeah he, they need somebody to help, you yeah. know, Bryce Young or, yeah, Bryce Young to. Yeah, Jack Del Rio got fired. We can get to that. Um, yeah, he's out from the commanders as well. That's my only, my only other coaching carousel I really have from this past weekend. Uh, I don't know what that's going to really do for the commanders. Um, if it's it should have been Rivera. Yeah. Rivera's got to go. It should have been. Do you think that's just like do, they're just waiting at this point until uh, next like off season at this point? Yeah, oh. they're. It seems like they are. This would have been the time to fire him because you have ten days between playing on th- Thanksgiving on Thursday and then your next game, which is Sunday. Yeah. So you have eleven days. That would have been the time if you're going to fire a coach in mid in uh, mid season. That's the time to do it, and they didn't do that. And I would have. Well, it sounds like when we had what's his name Adam Epstein on from Washington. He uh, he said that they might promote Frank Reich to, or not Frank Reich, Ron Rivera to the front office. So I could see that happening. I could even see them, you know, promoting the enemy to be the head coach because Sam Howe has developed under the enemy as the offensive coordinator. I could see that for the commanders, but um, I'm shocked that it wasn't Ron Rivera and instead it was Jack Del Rio, but I also could see them just wiping the slate clean in Washington this offseason. You've got a new ownership group, and they're going to they're gonna basically put their own people in. As, yeah, that's as a great point you make before. as far as Eric Bieniemy because that's another reason why I would have fired Ron Rivera. Give Eric Bieniemy six games or so to find out if he's head coach material and give him an opportunity to kind of learn on the job, give him a chance to audition for the job. Yeah, you forget about that, how important it is to kind of make that audition because why you know, – why- hire a coach or even elevate a coach in the off season without even knowing how he's going to do. It's a good point, Zach, at least let him play some games, finish out the season, see, you know, if he can be the guy going into next season or if they need to make a, you know, even further change in the off season. But yeah, we'll see new ownership group. I definitely think he'll be gone Rivera in the off season, especially if the commanders continue to play the way they've been playing. Uh, They'll have somebody else uh, at head coach in short time. Let's move on, though, guys. Break down the games from this past weekend, week 12. We're going to start with the closest game of the week, like we always do. Zach, what is your closest game of the week? Yeah, I feel like we're going to bring this game up a few times. The Bills-Eagles yeah. game. Yeah. Maybe the game of the NFL season so far. Mm-hmm. What an unbelievable game that was. Jalen Hurts had an unbelievable second half. Josh Allen was spectacular throughout. And if Gabe Davis runs the right route or if Josh Allen throws the right ball, they win that game. Jake Elliott with one of the best kicks I've ever seen, a 59-yard field goal. That's tough in any weather condition, but especially in the pouring rain and the the grass being the way that it was yesterday. That's one of the best kicks I've ever seen. It was fantastic. You know, the Eagles, they find ways to win every week. And, you know, they're not dominating the way that they did last year, but they're 10-1. They find ways to win close games. 
And then the last six days, they've beaten Patrick Mahomes and they've beaten Josh Allen. Can't really mm-hmm. – uh, can't really argue with that. And they win games when their defense plays great. They win games when their defense did not play great like they did yesterday. They did not play all that great. But Jalen Hurts stepped up in the second half. He had, what, 50 yards? or He had a miserable first half. But the second half, he was yeah, about flawless. Yeah. And that that game was just you, – you knew as soon as Buffalo had to settle for a field goal, you knew the Eagles were going to drive down and win that game. Yeah. That was, I think, the best game of the season so far. 19 yards in the first half, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, this is my. This, I mean, if this could, like you said, Zach, this could be a lot of, lot of things. But this is going to be my. Why not my closest game too? Uh, I think it's the best game of the year so far. Personally, I think a lot of people would say that. That not just Eagles, obviously, but the NFL. That this was the best yeah. game of the year so far. Oh yeah. Um, despite the weather, and I, it was a tale of two halves for Eagles again, kind of like Kansas City. Uh, Jalen Hurts was pretty much playing himself out of MVP contention, uh, you know, conversation in the first half, but then <laughs> ended up, you know, being the clear front runner by the end of the game. I mean, I think he, what, he had 200 yards or something like 200 passing yards and three passing touchdowns in the second half. And like, yeah, I said, he had a stretch where he three out of four, three of his four passes were touchdowns in the second half. At yeah. One point. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that graphic too. Yeah. He also had two rushing touchdowns too. Yep. Uh, you know, including inc- the winner. Yeah, including that, you know, 12-yard runoff, uh, you know, to win it as well in, in overtime. So, yeah, but like I said, Eagles played very, very bad first half, um, and then they played really well in the second half, very similar to Kansas City in that they were able to, you know, get this game winner. I was, like you said, Zach, I was really surprised by that field goal by Zach or by Jack Elliott to, um, you know, Jack Elliott, right, I think. Jake to, Elliott. Uh, Jake Elliott. Jack Elliott, I think, is on the Union, Philadelphia Union. We That's always talk thinking. about Justin Tucker being the best kicker in the league, and he probably is, but Jake Elliott's not that far behind. Yeah, I mean, it was like 59, I think, was the total yeah. yardage and in yeah. the rain, and it was just a dart, too. I thought it you know, I thought it missed at first. It was The weather was so bad, I couldn't even see the ball when he kicked it because, you, you know, the cameras were so fogged up, you couldn't even see the ball when he, when he kicked it. I didn't even know it went in until the refs put their hands up. But, yeah, just – amazing amazing kick by him to to send in the overtime and then um yeah just great game overall and justin is this going to be your closest game of the week i'm sure it's you know at least at least shoot out if nothing else yeah easily yes easily the closest game easily probably easily the shootout this was the game of the year and the game of the week as we were alluding to before i mean the eagles in the first half they didn't get a lot of run plays in as much but in the second half, they started to run the ball more. They started to adjust. Jalen Hurts brings this team back from down 17-7, just like he did in Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes and now against Josh Allen on his home field. The winning 37-34, it's a big win for the Eagles, and we know why. I mean, they're the best team in the league right now. At ten and uh, six, Josh Allen now in his career in overtime. So yeah, how so. big was that? By the way, if the Bills won, they were holding the seventh seed. Now they're gonna. It's gonna be really difficult for them to make the playoffs because they've got Kansas City still coming. They've got Cap uh, Dallas still coming in a couple weeks. They got to play the Dolphins. Like this yep. could be a game that keeps them out of the playoffs. No, for sure. You know, this was, I mean, every game now, including this one, is pretty much a must must win for the Bills heading down to make the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, he just continues to play really well. But um, all things considered, took care of the ball decently well too this game, and they just couldn't end up coming away with the victory. Uh, Nick Sirianni did say, you know, team does not panic. 
in the second half showed this for the Eagles. They definitely did not panic despite, you know, a back and forth game, despite a bad first half. They they did did not panic. Uh, James Bradbury had the best game of his season, uh, came up with five, five pass breakups in this game, was targeted 15 times and snagged an interception for the Eagles as well. Jalen Carter also played an amazing, amazing game for the Eagles. So defense doing its job, ended up getting the win for the Eagles, just an all-out team victory for the Eagles. Great, great win. Uh, good to see them uh, winning ugly, winning hard, because that's going to be really important, obviously, once the playoffs come up. Most intriguing storyline, Zach. What was your most intriguing storyline of this past weekend? Well, the Jacksonville Jaguars basically clinched the AFC South yesterday because they are up mm-hmm. two games now, and unless they collapse, they're probably going to win that. And, you know, if you look at the AFC, it's basically all 8-3 and three and 9-3 and three teams. The Ravens hold the number one seed because they played one more game than everybody else. But it's going to be really interesting to see who gets that number one seed. And can somebody make Patrick Mahomes have to play on the road, which he's never had to do in the postseason? The Jaguars are taking a step closer to that. They've got a pretty favorable schedule from here out. They're 8-3. and three. They're two games up on the AFC South. Trevor Lawrence had one of the best games of the season yesterday. And, you know, that's a Texan team that dominated them earlier this year. And the fact that they were able to get that win on the road, that was a fantastic game, too. It got overshadowed by the Eagles and the Bills later on. But that was a great game that uh, ended up on a doink. Uh, the field goal hitting the crossbar, but that's a huge win for the Jaguars, eight and three. And, you know, we all talk about the Chiefs, the Ravens, as far as being the best teams, the AFC. I don't think we talked about the Jags enough. No, no, definitely a good game. I mean, they definitely fly under the radar, especially at home. They're a fantastic home game. Uh, CJ Stroud did play really good. That's my only other takeaway from the game. I mean, obviously, he yep. just continues to play amazing. Uh, three for 304 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, has over 3,200 yards of total passing on the season close to 3300 yards um he moved past justin herbert for the most in nfl history by a rookie in his first 11 games uh he also became the first rookie in nfl history to throw for 300 yards in four consecutive games as well so yeah i mean he just continues and continues to play amazing this year and like we said earlier panthers panthers could have had him but I want to stay in the AFC South real quick, and it's yep. probably not going to come up in some of the other categories, but I want to give Shane Steichen some love. I mean, the Colts are 6-5, and five, and yeah. they're doing this with a backup quarterback with Gardner Minshew, and they're winning games week in, week out, and right now they would actually make the playoffs if the season ended today. So I think he deserves a ton of credit, maybe coach of the year in the NFL, for what he's doing with a roster. It doesn't have a great receiver, doesn't really have a great defense, does have Jonathan Taylor, but they're doing this with a backup quarterback. The AFC South – Everybody thought might be the worst division in football. Well, you've got the Jags, really good team. Texans have been Mm -hmm. maybe the surprise. And the Colts are flying really under the radar. So the AFC South has been a lot better than people thought it was going to be. No, yeah. I I was just watching games yesterday, and the infographic came up, obviously, when they always do when they show the playoff, you know, contentions for each of the, you know. If the season ended today, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I was – they were 6-5. and Like, when did the Colts become 6-5? and They are the – they are the – they were – I literally remember remember saying to myself, like, they are the sneakiest 6-5 and team ever. Yeah, they really are. I never even – like, no one talks about them. And they're one of the – you know, they're about 500, which I – you would they think did they, beat Houston earlier the year. That's why they are currently in the playoffs because they held the tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah. They'll I mean, it's like, I don't know when that happened, but yeah, yeah. week two. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, no, I just I don't know when they became six and five, but hey, <laughs> yeah, good. yesterday. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, my most intriguing storyline. I'm gonna uh, go to the NFC now. I'm gonna Cowboys. I'm kind of curious about the Cowboys. I don't really know what to really make about the Cowboys. They're kind of like the Dolphins a little bit in a sense and in that they haven't really played anyone really good this year. I mean, their season has been actually, I mean, their, their 
yeah, their record or schedule schedule, excuse me, so far has been actually pretty easy, all things considered, for the Cowboys. They've only played two really tough games, uh, two teams above 500 this entire year. That was the Eagles and the 49ers, and they, of course, lost both of those games. They do blow out the teams that they should blow out. Obviously, they, you know, killed the Giants twice. They killed the Commanders. They killed the Rams, uh, you know, 40-plus points against those teams, uh, all four of those teams. But, again, these are teams below 500, and when they play against good teams, they don't win them. So, I, you know, I think Dak Prescott, he played awesome on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, he had 331 yards for four touchdowns. He, Like I said, he absolutely balled out. Uh, they kill the commanders, like I just said, as well on Thanksgiving. But they have a stretch coming up here where they play the Eagles at home, the Bills and Dolphins away, and the Lions at home again. This is going to be a huge, huge litmus test for the Cowboys to see how legit they are. I need to see them, like the Dolphins, I need to see them beat uh, an actual playoff contending team and not just kind of stomp on these uh, lower tier teams. Um, and let's see what they're made of coming up in the next, uh, you know, they play the Seahawks, obviously, coming up. I think it's Thursday night. But then uh, the, the next four games after that, like I said, yeah, Eagles, Dolphins, Bills, and Lions. Let's see how they do. Justin, what was your most intriguing storyline of the week? My most intriguing storyline is the Seattle Seahawks. What happened to them? I knew we were they were going to lose this game to the Niners, but not by that much. Seattle might be falling apart here in the second half of the year. And I'm, I'm not impressed with with the Seattle Seahawks. I thought they could be a borderline contender, but my most intriguing storyline is, is really what's what's happening to the yeah, Seahawks no, right yeah. now. Very, uh, Geno Smith was one of the quarterbacks known for taking care of the ball very, very well uh, over the last couple, you know, three, four games. He's been having some inter, uh, turnover problems. Defense hasn't been playing as good as they've been playing, and offense has been struggling as well. So, yeah, Seahawks definitely on a slump. Also, another thing I'll say, too, about the Russell Wilson trade, now that the Broncos mm-hmm. are starting to have some success, they're now 6-5. and five. Uh, they're, uh, they're one game back, yeah, one game out of the playoff picture in, uh, in the AFC. But uh, I will say this. I still think Seattle did win the trade just a bit, but because they will have some first-round draft picks from Seattle. And so far – they got Witherspoon, who's, who's actually playing very well. I mean, he might be the defensive rookie of the year, might be one of the two, might be him or Jalen Carter. But Seattle's, I think they're, I think they're underrated in the mm-hmm. future. But this year, I think they're falling apart. But they might need to start looking at another quarterback. And they might need to start they, – they may need to, you know, keep Geno Smith, obviously. I think so. But they could they could do a good job at developing a quarterback. Again, it is Pete Carroll. He is a good head coach. But I still think Seattle did win the trade. But I think the Broncos are starting to catch yeah. some oh, yeah. fire now with Russell Wilson and yeah. Sean Payton. Nope. What do you think? Nope. Do you think the the Broncos and this who who do you think won the trade now? I would still say Seattle. But then the Broncos are still catching. It all depends on how Seattle uses those draft picks. Because if they use them correctly, then they won the Mm -hmm. trade. But I mean, the Broncos that is that came out of nowhere. That is one of the most surprising in-season turnarounds that I've seen in a long, long time. And give them full credit. I mean, they were one in five, and we were talking about we're the worst team in the league, and now all of a sudden they're in the playoff line. So I still would probably give a slight edge to Seattle, but 
it's not as nearly as much as I thought it was after last year. No, I've said it two, three episodes ago. They're, I think they're going to make the playoffs, the Broncos, because they were playing really well. The defense and Russell Wilson started to come together at the same exact time. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, Justin, if he continues to play like he plays now, I, you could make an argument that the Broncos might have won the trade because they obviously definitely, desperately needed a quarterback at that time. And, you know, he's right now leading them from – probably the worst team in the league to a playoff contending team. So, yeah, I mean, the Broncos so far doing very well in the trade. Didn't it look like that, look did it did not look like that way last year and then obviously the beginning of this year either, but so far no, it's turning out awesome for the Broncos. Well, and we'll get into that game a little bit later. Uh I actually think the Broncos and the Texans could be wild cards in the AFC well, instead of an AFC yeah. North yeah. team or I don't think there'll be three AFC no, North either. teams. I think the Broncos and Texans are going to get wild cards and potentially even three AFC South teams. The Colts could be in yeah. it as well. Yeah. I think the AFC North, I, I still don't trust the Steelers and the Browns. At some point, you just accumulate too many injuries. Yep. Uh, surprise of the week, Zach, what was your surprise of the week? Yeah, it's got to be the Packers going to Detroit yeah. and housing the Lions. What a performance by Jordan Love. This was his coming out party. I think now we can look at Jordan Love as the future of the franchise. I don't know if he's going to turn out to be Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, but I think the Packers are done as far as they're not picking a quarterback this year because Jordan Love has showed some promise these last couple weeks. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Watson had a big day. It really started on the opening play when they threw the ball deep and Christian Watson had like a 60-yard catch and run, and that was basically setting the tone for the entire game. The Lions got a real problem, guys, because they turn, they've turned the ball over seven times in the last two games. You cannot win at that rate if you're turning the ball over. Their defense has been a little bit suspect. I'm starting to be a little concerned about the Lions. They're going to win the yep. NFC North, but I don't know if I look at them as a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I don't know what happened. This is actually my surprise of the week, too. I don't know what happened with Jared Goff. I mean, going, what was it, like seven, week seven, week eight, something like that, he led he had the record like he was he had the record for most most consecutive games or even pass attempts maybe without an interception um and now he's you know having a very bad turnover problem had a career high three fumbles that's not an interception obviously but had had a career high three fumbles against the packers on thanksgiving uh jordan love had to set the pace fast in this game to have any chance to win he did that first play of the game 53 yard pass to christian watson that ultimately led to that scoring td drive to Jaden reed that touchdown pass to Jaden reed so yeah i mean fumble i mean Goff has you know he has a problem with you know handling the ball lately and like that's something that's gonna have to be a big big issue uh covered up by the lions going down the stretch here if they want any chance to be a playoff contending team. Um, Jordan Love, though, I do want to touch base on him a little bit more, too. I mean, he's been playing very well lately. I mean, he finished with a career high, uh, three touchdowns, uh, 22 for 32 on Thanksgiving with 268 passing uh, passing yards, three touchdowns, and including two of those in the first quarter to rookie Jaden Reed and Tucker Craft, like I said earlier. Uh, he had a career-long 37-yard run on a read option play in the third yeah. down late in the fourth quarter that helped seal the win as well. So Jordan Love might be the guy uh, at the Packers, especially over the last like two, three games. Like you said, Zach, uh, Packers might be looking for another uh, draft option uh, this year yep. and not a quarterback. So that's good his for His numbers Packers. through his first uh, 11 starts are basically the exact same as Aaron Rodgers' numbers through his first 11 starts. <laughs> not saying he's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, 
That's not a bad thing. More of a runner. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. In uh, the Packers, I mean, obviously their defense played very well on Thanksgiving too. Uh, Lions went for it five times on fourth down and only converted it one time. That's actually where the Lions are probably the uh, that's that, that's been a big part of the Lions' success is how great they are on third down and fourth down. And uh, yeah, Lions were over five on fourth down. Over five. Yeah, I think they did converted one. On the final, uh, they, they might have got one on the last drive. Yeah, yeah. but they mm-hmm. they were zero for their first five. I know they faked the punt, and then a couple mm-hmm. times they got deep and they didn't get it. The game, I think, the one they did get, the one they did convert. I think the game was pretty much over at that time. Yeah, anyhow, though, but right. but yeah, no, it's um, yeah, good good for the Packers. Justin, what was your uh, surprise of the week? Yeah, this is it. Packers over the Lions, and the Lions. It's a cause for concern. I don't know if they're going to be a contender as Zach just alluded to. Uh, but I don't know if they're, but I don't think they should. I don't know if they're going to be a big contender yet. I mean, they're kind of a year behind schedule, maybe even two years behind schedule, maybe even get a quarterback and, and develop him under golf. Maybe not yet, but I still think the lions are not the favorite in the, in the NFC, obviously still think it's yep. Philadelphia. They're going to have to go into Philly if they play the Eagles. And that environment, especially outside outside weather in January with that crowd, it's going to the, be The Lions needed to have them. home field advantage because I, can't, I don't think they're going to San Francisco and winning. I don't think they're going to Philadelphia and winning. And I don't think they could go to Dallas and win either. Yeah. Speaking of that, Eagles now two-game lead in the conference even after They last. could basically wrap up home field if they beat the 49ers next week. Well, I was going to say, yeah, if they if they mm-hmm. beat 49ers next week and then, you know, maybe get one more win after that, they can they, they, they can start maybe potentially sitting people uh, going into the playoffs and still have that first round bye, which would be yep. pretty, pretty amazing. They could. I think they they could win these next two games, next three games that they're going to wrap up the division and possibly yeah, one. Especially seat. considering the fact that their last four games. Wow. I didn't even know this Seahawks, Giants, Cardinals, and then Giants again. Yeah. Uh, Eagles watch out for the Eagles being able to, you know, have a month off almost before going to the playoffs, especially if they can wrap up that you know, conference lead uh, early on with that win next weekend against the 49ers. Uh, let's move on. Shootout of the week. Zach, what was your shootout of the week? Bills Eagles 37 34 is the highest scoring game of the week. The offenses are fantastic, but two great quarterbacks, two of the best in the league. I mean, Josh Allen, you got to feel stake fit because yeah. he's done everything possible and to, to get himself in a position to win these overtime games, and his defense has let him down over yep. and over again. But Jalen Hurts, I mean, he's rising up as probably the MVP of the league because he just every single week it seems like the Eagles are in a close game and he's coming through with a big play. I'm actually going to go with Rams Cardinals. Uh, Kind of a shocking shootout of the week. Uh, not really, not many people would think the Rams Cardinals would be a shootout of the week, but ended up being a really uh, intriguing game. Ended up being a really high-scoring, fun game to watch overall. Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford set a season high for TDs, threw for 229 yards and uh, four touchdown passes, two to Tyler Hybe and two to Kyrene Kyrene uh, William. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Williams had a huge game after missing his last four games because of that ankle injury. Uh, like I said, he had 16 rushes, 450, 43 yards, and six receptions for those two touchdowns, are, as I alluded to already as well. Los Angeles scored 30 unanswered points after falling behind 8-7 to seven in the first, first quarter. Uh, 
the Rams, they moved the ball with ease during most of the first half and had 287 yards. Cardinals played pretty well first quarter, but then didn't end up struggling uh, late in the game as well. But yeah, I mean, Rams, my shootout of the week and solely just because of LA and how well Matt Stafford, Stafford played. I mean, looking like old Matt Stafford of old Matthew Stafford of old, excuse me. And like I said, just playing playing amazing and getting the Rams a much needed win uh, to keep their playoff chances alive. Justin, what was your shootout of the week? Well, actually two games, obviously Bill's Eagles, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'll get to that in a minute, but chiefs and Raiders chiefs Raiders, I thought was an interesting shootout. It looked like Kansas city early on was going to lose the game. They were down 14, nothing in the, second quarter and they only had 13 yards that when they were down 13 14 nothing 13 total offensive yards I thought the Chiefs would lose but they came back obviously Patrick Mahomes had 298 yards threw Mm -hmm. for two touchdown passes but the Raiders as uh, as I've been saying as we've been saying the Raiders are a are not a bad team they still need they they might need a new head coach. You hope that they don't uh, that they don't fire Antonio Pierce. But if the Raiders can develop their team, then I think they could be I think they could be a sneaky team in the AFC West. But um, I thought they were able to keep up with with the Chiefs in this game. And the Chiefs, I, I mean, they, no wide receiver means yeah. big issues. Not having a wide receiver, I don't care if it's A.J. Brown. I don't care if it's Stephon Diggs or not even to that elite caliber receiver. Maybe even uh, Michael Gallup would be the number one receiver for the Chiefs. That's how bad their wide receiving core is. And they're still eight and three, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes leading as the starting quarterback. But also I want to get into the Bills and the Eagles again with Jalen Hurts. Being the first NFC quarterback, by the way, to defeat both Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in there. Yeah, I know. And going back to the Chiefs, um, Rasheed Rice had the best game for the Chiefs. Uh, He caught eight passes, 107 yards for a touchdown. Yeah, how about a Chiefs receiver actually holding on to the ball? Yeah, no. Isaiah Pacheo, he rushed for two touchdowns as well. But, yeah, I mean, it was the first. Zach, like you kind of alluded to uh, the Chiefs ended their three-game second-half scoring drought. Uh, so I mean, he, they he, they passed for over just under just under 200 or just under 300 yards at 298. Uh, Mahomes did throw two touchdown passes as well. So yeah, I mean, it's a big problem for the Chiefs. I know we've already kind of touched on it at length. I mean, their wide receiver room is definitely definitely pretty thin right now. They don't have a whole lot of options outside of Kelsey. Definitely something they're going to have to fix going down the line. And like you said, Zach, as it stands right now, and as it's looking, you know, second, you know, last third of the season here, it looked like the uh, the Chiefs for the first time in Mahomes, you know, the, his first time playing in the NFL. It looks like Mahomes will not be uh, having home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and might actually have to play his first away game in the playoffs uh, this year. So we'll see. Well, they've had a couple years where they weren't the one seed. They were the two, but the one seed lost. So they ended up still hosting. Yep. 
My only other thing from the Chiefs Broncos game, if we don't get back to it, I mean, we already talked about the Broncos. They're looking really, really good lately. Uh, the Chiefs defense does continue to dominate, though. The Chiefs held uh, held opponents to under 24 points for the 11th straight consecutive game. That's just three off the franchise record. They shut down the Raiders in the second half, holding them to only 113 yards after uh, Vegas picked up over 240 yards in the first two quarters. So, Tale of two halves for the Kansas City defense. I still think the defense for Kansas City is probably one of the most underlooked aspects of the team, just considering with you know how much attention Patrick Mahomes and the offense for the Chiefs get, especially over the last uh, two, three years here. Snoozer of the week. I think we're going to have all the same snoozers of the week. So, Zach, start us yeah. off with... Giants, Patriots, uh, we have to talk about it. Let's just briefly go through it. A little bit, snoozer of the week. Uh, All of us, I think, are going to have the same game. Start us off. I mean, we have to talk about it. Um, What do you want to – I mean, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, Mac Jones, his career in the NFL is basically over at this point. It's done. He's proven he's not the guy. Tommy DeVito has shown a little something these last couple weeks, but let's just say that this will not go up in Giants-Patriots history like Super Bowl 42 and Super Bowl 46. This is not exactly a game that's going to be remembered by just about anybody. The Patriots, I'm sure, are happy to lose because now they're in the mix for Caleb Williams or Drake May, perhaps, sitting there at 2-9. and I think they would have the third or fourth pick in the draft right now. And if you're the Giants, like, I know some Giants fans are like, oh, we still got a chance to play. No, no, you don't. But th- this is just – if anybody watched this game, uh, you're a better fan than I am. Yeah, I don't think many did. Um, yeah, Tommy Cutlitz DeVito is going to lead them to the playoffs. I don't think um... – <laughs> Sure, right. DeVito, playoffs. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. They just want to draft pick at this point. Where are they in the draft? Where would the Giants? Well, they're moving down yeah. six. They've won a couple after after this weekend. And That's become it. a chef That's too it. with hey, Tommy DeVito. He still lives at <laughs> That's home. That's all they well, want. So good for him, I guess. You might have. Yeah, like twenty yeah. minutes away from the stadium. Um, Can't wait yeah. now. Yeah, right. No, yeah, no. too yeah. convenient. Um, yeah, uh, New England currently holds third next year in the draft. As you know, new. Uh, New York, excuse me, is six after this weekend, and New England is now third in the draft. Uh, Bears uh, probably won't high, may, may not get a quarterback because Fields is playing pretty good recently, and then Arizona might also not get a quarterback because uh, Murray has actually been playing decently well, as decently well too. So New England might actually be in the Caleb Williams pool, uh, you know, if they continue to stay where they are now and draft third, and especially if they can go up to second, you know, really do bad uh, this. You know, last third of the year, maybe get to the second spot. I think they definitely will be in the running for Caleb Williams, uh, but definitely won't get a quarterback. Zach, you said uh, Mac Jones's time at New England is over. I think it's been over. I just don't think they have anything else to really do at this point. Uh, I'm surprised he even started this game. I know he got benched originally and now, I guess, started this game. Um, but Bailey Zappi also came in to, to replace Mac Jones. He played terribly as well. He only had 54 yards with the interception. Uh, only resemble only semblance of offense the Patriots had all game was Ramondre Stevenson who ran for 21 times, 98 yards and one touchdown. Um, four com- four combined turnovers for both the Patriots and the Giants, which I'm actually surprised. I that that's actually lower than I even thought it would be, especially considering that it was a pretty ugly game, ugly weather game if I remember. All things considered, uh, both teams no surprise here did combine for 13 total punts. 
uh, true, true battle of defense, just ugly, ugly offenses in general. And the better defense ended up did coming through and winning this game. But overall, just, yeah, very, very ugly. And they had to play eventually, I guess, especially <laughs> had to play eventually, I guess. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, luckily there were better games going on this weekend. That being said, what did we miss? I don't think we really missed many other games. 49ers, Seahawks, I think we already touched on it. McCaffrey, uh, Offensive Player of the Year, 14 touchdowns on the season so far. He's definitely in pace to win Offensive Player of the Year. Dolphins, Jets, did we touch on this? The Black Friday game too much? The Hail Mary? Really is that what we're, I think that's what they're calling it now is the Hail Mary. So they've had uh, the butt fumble and the Hail Mary on uh, Thanksgiving and then uh, Black Friday. Like yeah. that, if any play has ever symbolized the entire history of the New York Jets franchise, that's it. Yeah. Welcome to the New uh, York yeah, like Jets. The final, the final <laughs> seconds of the first half, yeah. Jets intercepted uh, an attempted Hal Mary to capitalize on their newfound momentum. Instead, the Dolphins, uh, yeah, they intercepted Boyle's pass at the one-yard line and returned it for a 99-yard touchdown. So, yeah, Jets uh, – yeah, continue to sh- showcase a bad product in primetime games, especially on Black Friday when there were no other games going on. Yeah. Dolphins still only one win above 500, though. I kind of alluded to it earlier, kind of analogous to the Cowboys and on the a- NFC side. Um, only one win above 500, the Raiders. So I don't know what to really make of the Dolphins still. Yeah, not anymore because the Raiders are below 500. True. Yeah, well, at the time, I guess. But yeah, right. um, Dolphins, they suffered a major blow, though, with Jalen Phillips. He's out for the season. Uh Probably one of the best defenders they had on the team. He led the team in six and a half sacks. Had a non-contact leg injury that ended up becoming a four, uh, an Achilles injury. Um, he had to leave midway through the fourth quarter. And like I said, it was later confirmed that it's an Achilles injury. So Jalen Phillips will be out for the rest of the season. He was a massive, massive uh, pass rush, uh, uh, you know, a, a rusher, a pass, pass rusher for the Dolphins. So that's going to be a major, major blow for them going down the line. But We'll see how they can recoup. Steeler Bang- Steelers, Bengals, I think we talked about this as well. Um, mm. Steelers totaled 421 yards of offense, uh, snapping their streak of 58 games without gaining 400 yards. So Matt Canada being out of, you know, being out of OC for the Steelers did seem to, you know, pay some dividends for the team. Sure. Uh, uh, Kenny Pickett played pretty well, all things mm. considered. Yep. Th- throwing in the middle of the ball, uh, throwing in the middle of the field, excuse me, the Steelers, Pat Frydenmuth had a career outing, uh, career high of 120 yards. Uh, Najee Harris looked pretty pretty good too. He kind of looked back back to his old ways, 15 rushes for 99 yards and a score as well. And then my only other, only other takeaway, obviously, is Bengals just are not the same without Joe Burrow. But no, it's a shame. not so much. I got to say this too. I This is probably my snooze snooze fest of the yeah, week i mean i was. didn't say the <laughs> it was snooze fest well, we, yet but i just, oh, I just assumed it was, it was the giants sn- and patriots sorry yeah but. yeah for that too but i would say steelers and and bangles are were, were was pretty much my snooze fest as much as the steelers you know um had a lot of a lot of yards with mm-hmm. kenny pickett and with um naji harris almost having 100 yards I don't. I. I still don't think the Steelers are that good, to be honest. And I don't think the. And I thought that game yeah. was an absolute snoozer. I think the Steelers. I'm. It does, Kenny Pickett's stats don't make sense, and stats don't make sense a hundred percent of the time. I'll talk about stats in the mm-hmm. new week's res, 
resolutions, but 278 yards. He hasn't thrown an interception in yeah. what, like six yeah. straight games, Kenny Pickett, and he has thrown and he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. It's the weirdest stat line ever. The Steelers purposefully doing that to him, or is Kenny Pickett just not yeah. that good of a quarterback? I think we're gonna the cases of both. Well, now we're gonna get to find out because Matt Canada's not there. We can't put that as an excuse anymore. So I guess over the next, mm-hmm. I don't know, six games or so, we're gonna find out how good Kenny Pickett actually is. Yeah, I saw that too, Justin. It was like. 208 attempts, passing attempts without an interception, which I, I could have swore he threw interceptions, but I guess I could, he just seems like he has thrown interceptions this year, but obviously I'm wrong. Well, re- recently, I should say, recently he's thrown interceptions, but obviously I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, obviously um, um, Goff was leading that, uh, leading that torch with, the, you know, the pass attempts without an interception, but he's making you know, up for it now. It's Kenny Pickett's. Yeah. It's Kenny Pickett's now. So we'll see what happens. I, my take when I saw this was you can, you can argue almost that he should have more interceptions. Kenny Pickett, yep. that might be the problem for the Steelers. They don't do anything. They don't. That's exactly right. It's like Alex Smith when he was the Chiefs quarterback, like Alex Smith was very good, but Alex Smith didn't throw a lot of interceptions because he was checking yeah. the ball down a lot instead of throwing the ball downfield. Yeah. I mean, that's what, maybe that's what they need him to do more is be more, aggressive with the ball and i mean this was the steelers first game obviously all year where they weren't outgained um finally and so it's that maybe that's what they have to start doing and i think kenny pickett definitely showed flashes flashes of it this uh this game being more aggressive like i said throwing in the middle of the field way way more pat frymuth like i said had a, uh, an awesome game a lot of a lot of passes in the middle of the field. And I actually saw a lot of bombs from Kenny Pickett this game as well. He had a lot of, I mean, they were off, off kill a little bit. They weren't thrown very well, but I still did see a lot of nice deep throws from Kenny Pickett. And I like to see it. And I know for a fact, the Steeler fans uh, want to see it. Buccaneers, Colts. We did touch on that as well. Saints, Falcons. Did we touch on this? I don't think we really touched on this too much. Desmond, Desmond Witter didn't play too well. Um, New Orleans, Pretty much explosive on offense. All they gave Bijan the ball. How about that? Yep. 16 Good things rushes. happen. Yeah, sixteen rushes, ninety-one yards, and a touchdown. Um, uh, only six more than Algier, who had ten for sixty-four as well. So yes, uh, Algier and Robinson combined. I what is that? Don't do math now, but I think it was like over close to one hundred and fifty total yards. So that's yeah, definitely feeds your stars. We've been saying it all all year for the Atlanta, and they finally did it. Took the ball out of Ritter's hand and just let it, you know, for their let the running backs for the team kind of take over. And like you said, Zach, it has good results, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. Um, Atlanta's Who defense. Yeah. Atlanta's defense also kind of keeping them in game games. Uh, Jesse Bates is the leader of that defensive squad. I mean, he's he had Atlanta's first pick six of the season. He also had a big late, uh, late third quarter hit that forced a fumble out of Tyson Hill uh, that ended up helping Atlanta seal the win. So yeah, Jesse Bates on the defensive side of the ball, leading the defense for Atlanta. And the other other part of the success uh, recipe for success is of course, feeding the running backs, the ball, feeding the stars, the ball and getting the ball out of Ritter's hand as much as possible. You do those two things, they win. Panthers Titans. I think we touched on this a little bit. Um, my only other real thing about, I know we talked about it with uh, Frank Reich, obviously being fired at the start of the show. Panthers are really bad. Derrick Henry played really, really good. Uh, Henry, Henry became the eighth running back in NFL history to run for at least 9,000 yards and at least 80 touchdowns before turning 30. 
Henry is pretty much the entire offense for the Titans. My only, only other takeaway were the Titans finally were able to come back home. Titans, as we know, have an awful, awful away record this year. I was actually shocked when I saw this. This was this was just the fourth home game for the Titans all year, which I knew that obviously, but it's their own. It's the uh, only home game they've had over the last seven weeks. So this was their first home game they've had over the last seven weeks for the Titans, and of course, Titans are four and zero now after this weekend when playing at Nissan Stadium. Can't win away, but are very very explosive at home. But of course, that uh, that away record is something they're going to have to look forward. Uh, you know, fix going going into the next season, have any chance to be a contending team. Jaguars, Texans, we already talked about. Chiefs, Broncos, I know we already talked about as well. I don't really think we missed anything else. Uh, uh, oh, Ravens, Chargers. Yeah. yeah. No franchise Sunday. in the NFL has historically done less with more than the Chargers. Like, go back yep. to Phillip Rivers, go back to LaDainian Tomlinson, Drew Brees, yep. all the great players they had, and they never won anything. And you're seeing it happen again. The Chargers have... Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen. Talent-wise, the Chargers are up there with just about anybody in the NFL. But every single year, they just, whether it's turnovers, whether it's bad defense, it's something always gets in the way for the Chargers. They never can get out of their own way. And Brandon Staley, again, he's just coaching out the string because he's not coming back next year. And give credit to the Ravens for figuring out a way to win a low-scoring kind of game. And I think the most surprising aspect of this is Justin Tucker actually missed a field goal. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, the Chargers are the most underachieving yes. team in the NFL and probably in the history yeah. of their franchise. Wasting all that talent. Go back to San Diego. Be, I mean, and yep. you got Brandon Staley. Yeah. Police, go back to San Diego. Exactly. And your fan base is there too. You know, I mean, SoFi is just. You know, opposing team fan bases stadiums. Let's be, let's be real. We all charges. still call them the San Diego I mean, Chargers. Yeah. If nothing else, by accident. True. Right? Like yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and it's because people, what happens is people, the reason it's always so many opposing fans is because people will just make vacations around you know their game so like you know if the raiders come into town people are just well that's they're not really far away but you know even if like a east coast team comes to sofi like uh, fans are just going to make vacations yeah they're going to make vacations Eagles. out of mm-hmm. them coming you know Steelers. that time of the year especially if it's a cold you know a cold time of the year like you know this time of the season they're going to make vacation plans out, out of that and then just go to the game so yeah it's you know, just that nice weather and la will do that to you a lot of will make a lot of opposing fans, especially when it's the Chargers and they don't have a really loyal fan base in L.A. yet. New Week's resolutions. Let's move on to New Week's resolutions. Zach, what was your New Week's resolution? Yeah, my New Week's resolution is going to be, for the love of God, New England, just bench Mac Jones already. Just admit that the experiment is over. Mac Jones is not your future quarterback. Get ready to draft Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever it's going to be next year. And just admit that this whole thing is over. Bill Belichick should not be fired. You need to make a quarterback change. And just play Bailey Zappi the rest of the season. Play whoever. Mac Jones clearly is not the guy anymore. Yeah, mine was going to be stop throwing the ball, which basically the same thing. That's my new resolutions. The combination of Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, uh, absolutely awful. Bailey Zappi at least showed flashes last year. Uh, Zappi, uh, like I said, he had a very, very bad uh, game yesterday. 54 yards, one interception. Uh, offense overall looked atrocious. They looked 
promising in the run game, specifically giving the ball to Ramadre Stevenson. Like I said earlier in the show, he was the only offense the Patriots had all season long or all game long, excuse me. Uh, 21 times, again, I'll reiterate, 21 times had the ball, 98 yards, and a touchdown. So, yeah, I don't know what the uh, Patriots do, but kind of the build off you, Zach, what you said for your new new week's resolution, they have to just stop throwing the ball, um, try to stop the bleeding as much as they can this year, and, uh, yeah, just, yeah, stop stop the bleeding and stop throwing the ball, wait, wait till next year, get Caleb Williams maybe, and build around uh, a new team a new offense justin what is your new week's resolution my new week's resolution is the stats during the nfl games i thought cbs during the bills eagles games and not just that game but other games uh previously were kind of cramming the stats down our throat just throwing it up on this throwing it up on the screen throwing it up, oh, look at this stat, look at that stat, you know, third down conversions. I mean, sometimes you would have thought that the Eagles were one of the worst offenses in the league and with overinflated stats. And then this team has overinflated stats. And then that team has overinflated stats. But then in reality, we're underinflated stats, and then they're that good. But it's not just yesterday's Bills-Eagles games, it's other games they got to stop over overdoing analytics yeah. during okay the broadcast. I like it. I like analytics, but they can definitely my, – my problem is, like you just alluded yeah. to, Justin, they can make a stat for anything. They can absolutely find a stat in any niche and cranny they want to. Um, they have – you know, they probably have four or five interns that that's only their job is to just make stats during a game, yeah. during a broadcast. And This is the you, first time Jalen Hurts has ever done this at 735 on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. No, it, it really does get it really does get ridiculous sometimes. It's like yeah. it's the first time someone has ever done something, um, you know, in their first like nine games before the age of twenty five or something. They can always they they always always find ways to make a stat, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of fill up the dead air, fill up some time. Yeah, but they, I, I mean, they could do the analytics, but they got to stop it, cramming it in on every play and every. I mean. <laughs> If they're good, and like I said, if they're good yeah. stats, I'm all for it. But when they when they're clearly yeah. clearly just made up to fill the void, that that becomes a lot. Let's move on though, guys. Bob Ferrante, uh, reporter and covers uh, FSU uh, exclusively covers FSU exclusively in Tallahassee, going to break down the Seminoles uh, in you know their season so far, but especially especially in light of the college football rankings that are going to be coming out tonight. Uh, obviously, Travis, Jordan Travis, out for the year. Uh, they, they just had their game this past week against Florida. Going to see how that all plays out, how that, how, that, how all that incorporates, excuse me, into the rankings uh, coming up tonight and what they do. Uh, if they do make the playoffs, how they're going to fare in the playoffs, how they're going to fare in the uh, bowl, game, bowl game that they get. Uh, everything coming up with him now great interview and without further ado let's head on to tallahassee and talk to bob okay we now head to tallahassee and talk to bob ferrante from the osceola magazine bob been there for since like 2010 you said no fsu football inside and out had to have you on in light of these college football playoff rankings the second to last uh, rankings that are coming out in lieu of championship weekend. FSU currently at number five, 
outside looking in. Obviously, Jordan Travis down a couple weeks ago. We'll get into that as well. I want to get your opinion, start off right off the bat. What do you think about these rankings coming up tonight? Do you think there's any chance that FSU might make the top four? And if not, what do they have to do this weekend against Louisville to ensure that they get a spot get a spot in the top four uh, you know next week uh, next week? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I think I think the challenge with these um, these rankings are they're they're made to be transparent early on, but they're also made to evaluate teams on a week by week basis. So I, I think all along we kind of felt like Ohio State and Michigan were going to play each other, and the winner of that game was going to survive and be in the top four, and the loser would probably drop out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we're all kind of looking forward to now is. The CFP made an adjustment based on, hey, Washington was looking better than Florida State. They did say that Jordan Travis's injury didn't have a factor in it, but I think optically, we all know that people are human and they judge based on what they see with their eyes and they needed to see a prove-it moment from Florida State, right? So it, it had to be Tate Rodemaker, the run game, the defense, everything went down in the swamp, beat the Gators. So I think once they did, and then once it wasn't like a super close game down the wire, you felt like, hey, you're one of the four unbeaten power fives, you're in. And I think that's the way it's going to probably shake out. Where is Florida State? Are they four? Are they three? Who knows? Um, but I think at this point, Mike Norvell's just said, if you win, you're in. The When the rankings matter the most. And what he's saying is, after the conference championship games, when they matter the most, he felt like all along Forest State was going to be in. Do you think there's any chance they can get knocked out after next weekend? Say they struggle against, obviously they have to beat Louisville, obviously to make it. But what if they struggle against Louisville? Do you think there's any chance they might be kicked out? Uh, you know, the final rankings that, they, that we're going to have next week? And that's the other argument that we've made too, is mm-hmm. what's valued by the committee. Like we, we can say it's the eye test. We can say it's optics. We can say it's metrics. But there are some coaches on this committee, and that's what I've always pointed to is coaches should say the wins on the field are what matters. And regardless of who you have, regardless of your injuries, shouldn't those wins substantiate your resume more than, hey, you don't have the maybe Heisman Trophy finalist and Jordan Travis? My argument still is this is a really good team. It's maybe not a team that's going to match up incredibly well against Georgia or Michigan. So if you're saying it from that standpoint, okay, I'm, I'm fine with you saying Florida State may not be able to beat Georgia, may not be able to beat Michigan. But if you're saying what's one of the best four teams out of the regular season and then the conference championship games, Florida State's resume holds up incredibly well. Then there's the Alabama argument. Then there's the what if Oregon beats Washington argument. I mean, it gets really, really silly because we're in this last year of the four-team playoff. I think mean, that's that's where we are for this one final kind of ride of this four-team CFP. So you're saying, you're basically saying that because Jordan Travis went down and you guys were still able to handle your, you know, those couple of games that he was out, obviously, you think that actually should be weighted heavier because they were able, the team was able to get a win, you know, a couple of wins here, regardless of, you know, the Heisman, you know, candidate Travis, like you were saying. You know, I've kind of used this line all along and, it's just how I view teams, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there are perfect teams in college football right now. I mean, you guys watch a lot of football. You watch Georgia. Are they perfect? 
watch Michigan. Are they perfect? Florida State ain't perfect either. They just have a perfect record. They have found ways at Florida State to win games with flaws. And right now the big flaws are, yes, some injuries on the offensive line. Yes, Jordan Travis is out for the year. I also think like teams should get credit for winning all their games. Do I get the Alabama argument? Sure. I can get, I can get behind Oregon. Oregon's a really good football team. It was just what a play or two less than Washington. I don't have a problem with Oregon being up there, but to some extent you also have to say you won all your games. And I think that's, that's pretty substantial. How has the team handled the Jordan Travis injury? Yeah, it's it's been kind of honestly. This feels weird because, like, I think most programs you would say, okay, the quarterback, he's the leader, he's the senior, it's important. But I think it goes a layer deeper than that. I mean, he's he's kind of the heart and soul of the team in a sense because he was the guy who didn't have confidence. I think you all have kind of heard the story, what's been written. I mean, he was a guy who, literally, his first practice here, he was throwing bounce passes two wide receivers. It was not good. He was not a good practice competitive guy. And he went all the way from that to a 3000 yard passer to almost the Heisman trophy presentation. If he doesn't get injured, that's a really remarkable journey. Um, how they handled it. They've done a lot of fight for 13 t-shirts. The hashtag has been trending on Twitter. The, the team is really, I think use Jordan's injury as a, as a motivating factor for them. They've rallied around Tate Rodemaker. They've rallied around other players. Um, yeah, it's, it's a team that I think feels hurt by it. I mean, genuinely, the emotions on the field when Jordan Travis went down in that game, I mean, there were guys crying. There were guys literally, and not because they thought, well, our national championship hopes are, are dashed. It was that's our guy. That's our guy on the ground. I think they knew the severity of the injury in that moment. They knew when you see the air cast come on, when you see the the cart coming out, they knew how bad it was. And they they genuinely hurt for him. But I think they've tried to do their best to to make him feel like he's still part of this ride that they're on and, and see how far they can go. So you said the committee, from what you hear from the committee, is that they're not taking into account Travis being injured as it for their rankings, for their voting. They're not really putting that into consideration. They're looking at the, t- they're looking at the team as a whole and not uh, specifically looking at the team with Jordan Travis being out. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, this is what they say. Mm-hmm. Now, right, what, right. They, what they choose to vote could be a different story. And I think we'll find out tonight. Um, you know, again, what I've said is you take wins over rivals, whether they're by one point or 25 points. In the optics world, the committee, they might literally be looking for more. But to some extent, this is what Florida State is. They've always kind of been this year a really shaky first half team, but have made great adjustments late in the game, great adjustments coming out of the half. I don't have their their scores in front of me, like from a third quarter, fourth quarter standpoint, but you look at the the aggregate, what they score in the third quarter, what they score in the fourth quarter, it's light years ahead of their opponents. And also the defense, you know, this is a defense that's been criticized for years and years for what they aren't. They haven't given up more than 20 points in the last two months. They gave up 24 points to a decent Clemson team. So 
they kept everybody under 30. So it's kind of more than just Jordan. I think it's just a body of work of a really good team. But again, respectfully, it, it's not, this doesn't feel like the 2013 Florida State team that, that was rolling past everybody and route to the title. So I do admit, I think we can all admit there are flaws for Florida State and just about every team. But it sounds like you do think tonight Florida State will be that will be one of the four teams in in the rankings. And that being said, you know, kind of a follow up question on that: What do you think is the possibility of Ohio State coming in, uh, knocking them off, and potentially maybe even Alabama, Texas? Like, do you see a path that if Florida State does be one of the top four teams tonight? Uh, is it simply, you know, win on, you know, win against Louisville this weekend and they're in, or is there a potential that even a team above them, like, could you see a path for a team that's ranked higher than them to, you know, knock them out uh, come next week? So I think the easy answer for tonight is I think Florida State's at least number four. Mm-hmm. Now, the next question becomes what happens after conference championship weekend. And then you get into that chaos theory that I think ESPN and some of the other news outlets are floating. So what happens if Alabama beats Georgia? Then does Georgia have a right to say the number four spot while Alabama might push up higher than than Georgia? You start getting into these various chaos theories. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think Oregon could and should beat Washington, right? So what claim does Oregon have? These are all the great debates when you're in a 14 playoff. And next year we might go to 12 and somebody is going to say, well, we're 13 and we didn't deserve to be 13. We deserve to be 11. Well, that's, that's a totally separate discussion. And I think mm-hmm. we're never going to see 12 or 13 win a national title, just the way the college football landscape is now. But it's going to be interesting to see how the college, because I, I do think we could see shifting after the championship games is, is kind of my honest answer. No, you're definitely right. I mean, debating which, you're right. Debate, debating between four and five and 12 and 13 is a big difference, like you said. And unfortunately, that's why I think uh, this whole college football playoff landscape is such a hotly debated topic. And why people like talking about it while, ES, while ESPN likes, you know, covering it so much is because I do think it has so much to be, you know, embedded into it. And like you said, all the chaos theories, people love talking about the what if scenarios, everything that everything that can happen but yeah you go back to oregon and washington and i i've been saying uh you know the whole year pretty much that i think whoever's going to win the pac-12 will get into the playoffs so you know if that's washington wins out they're going to be in and then i think if oregon beats washington then oregon will you know shift washington out but that's an interesting point you make about georgia and alabama though so yeah i mean it would be interesting to see because uh you know with the 14 playoff structure Unfortunately, the way it's set up now is there's always going to be teams, you know, at least three, four teams this year, at least, if not four, uh, five, six. There's going to be, you know, a lot of teams that are really good teams that deserve to make the playoffs. And I think it's interesting to say that or interesting to hear that you might think Georgia and Alabama could have a potential to be in uh, next week if Alabama was to beat Georgia this weekend. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I can sell myself in full on two SEC teams in. I think it's, I think not having one SEC team in, like say Alabama beats Georgia, is the committee really going to say, well, Georgia's not deserving and Alabama is also not deserving? Mm-hmm. Then you have Texas on the outside and Texas is, is in, in a pretty decent spot. Obviously, they've beaten Alabama. So Texas is going to start to look and say, well, 
how can Alabama get in, but but we can't as Texas? Again, these are the nuances of this four-team argument, and you start getting into the the chaos discussion. I think the cleanest way to play this out is Georgia wins, Washington beats Oregon, Florida State takes care of business, and and the the blocks kind of stay where they are, right about where we think they're going to fall Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. But man, I we know these conference championship games, crazy things have happened. They're they're on neutral fields. Who knows? Do you think the committee, um, well, well, one, the committee would love that to happen, what you just admitted. <laughs> I mean, the committee would love all the teams in the top four just to win out uh, this weekend and make it make it easier on them. But do you think uh, do you think the committee wanted Michigan to lose this this past weekend just to make it easier on the decision to, you know, have them in or not? Because that's something we debated on this show, um, you know, in the past week where the committee, we the, obviously they have to deal with the science stealing scandal. They have to deal with everything else, you know, that's coming along with Michigan, all the baggage that they have. And obviously if Ohio State would have beat them this past week and all that would have gone away. So do you think the committee was kind of hoping for Michigan to to lose this past week and to kind of make the decision easier on them? I think they'll never admit it, right? Right. But would it have been cleaner for for Michigan to lose? And mm-hmm. to some extent, do you give a little bit of credit to the Wolverines for what they've done with mm-hmm. assistant coaches filling in? Definitely. I mean, some people are saying that that coaching staff deserves maybe collectively to be the Big Ten coaches of the year instead of say I'm forgetting that what's the Northwestern coach Braun I think is is his mm-hmm. name. But anyway, there's an argument for what Michigan has done without Harbaugh these last three games. I get that too. What does the committee want in the end? I think they're almost tasked with an impossible job. But it's a really weird one, too, where their athletic director is on the committee and then has to recuse himself of any conversation that happens when Michigan pops up, which to me is is kind of ridiculous because how do you do that, not just when Michigan is in the discussion, Mm -hmm. but in this kind of controversial part of the discussion as far as okay, was Connor Stallions out there and for how many games? And literally, it is breaking the rules that have been placed for 30 or more years. You can't be on another team's field, another team's stadium, taking iPhone photos or videos of signs or whatnot. Now, if a coach says, hey, I want to see the TV copy, I want to try and steal signs off the TV copy of what ESPN says, there's nothing wrong with that. You might say it's unethical, but it's part of the game. I think yep. we've all kind of accepted that is a weird part of the game, just like baseball has had signs stealing around for more than a century. I mean, it's an unfortunate part of it. The Houston Astros with banging the, the trash cans. I mean, we've just had this kind of garbage sort of around sports forever. Yes, if Michigan had lost, I think the CFP would have gone, man, That's that bit. really does make our jobs easier. No, yeah, and it's uh, people – Teams, organizations, always going to try to find ways to get as much, much as they can out of the rule book, right? As they're always going to try to find loopholes, always going to try to find ways to tweak it as much as they possibly can in order to get that. Even, even a little bit of an advantage is still a big advantage, especially, you know, with Michigan and how, how much uh, expectations they have every year. And speaking of that, I mean, one of the things we talked about with Michigan all year long was they didn't really play anyone tough I mean their schedule was really easy leading up until Penn State and kind of alluding to what you just said Bob I mean 
with a backup coach with their you know their secondary coach they were able to beat penn state and ohio state so i do think you know despite the kind of um uh, controversy they have around the team they still were really good wins with a backup coaching squad and i think that actually it might end up ironically might end up helping them even more in the committee's favor what are your overall thoughts on next year though going to the 12 team playoff how do you like that what do you feel about that i think it's overall pretty much i think it's pretty well um received by a lot of people but do you also kind of feel that way especially being an fs you know someone that covers fsu pretty heavily i mean they're a team that's often you know just on the outside looking in so i'm sure you're very thrilled next year to have the uh expansion the 12 teams in the playoffs huh you know, I think last year too, in 2022, this was a team that would have been right on the edge of making a 12 team playoff. So I do think a lot of fans looked at it and said that would have been really cool just to kind of see the matchups and maybe the opportunities there. Who knows what this team's going to look like next year, for example. There's going to be a lot of departures. Obviously, Jordan's out of eligibility. Um, you know, we can see Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Trey Benson. Jared Verse. I mean, you think about all the big name, impactful guys on this team. We can see a lot of those guys depart. So if you're looking at it from a Florida State standpoint, you might say, well, the Seminoles may not be in the top four in 2024, but you have a really good shot to be in that top 12 if you hit the portal again. And, and they've hit the portal really at a high batting average at Florida State. I think that's been a tremendous storyline for Mike Norvell is he's not just grabbing guys. He's grabbing guys who are the right fits. They've gotten the production, the leadership. So from that aspect, I think it is good potentially for a Florida State. Could it be good for a Louisville or a Clemson looking at some other schools around the conference just to get a second ACC team in? Could it be good for the SEC? I mean, the SEC might say, we think we have four or five of the top 12 in the country, which I think is going to be something that's going to piss off a lot of fans nationally. Mm-hmm. But if that's the way it goes, then so be it. I mean, they've got potentially four or five of the best 12. And then next year, Ohio State, Michigan, you'll probably see both of those guys in it. Who knows what happens with the Pac-12? It's going to break up. Oregon and Washington could be over playing the Big Ten. How many Big Ten schools could we see? So I think it's just going to make, it might make the conference championship games, honestly, of less importance, unless it's just purely based on seeding. Because you could still see both of those two schools get in the 12 team playoff. Absolutely. On the yeah. flip side, I, I have to add, you know, your top four are going to get buys. So there will be a race to those top four slots, even if we see the conference championship games maybe not meaning just as much as, as they have previously. Let's, um, I mean, you, t- you kind of just alluded to it now, but. What are your thoughts on the ACC going forward in general with all these conference realignments? Is there a kind of concern in the ACC about maybe four or five years from now taking the path of the Pac-12, you know, maybe not doing enough right now to make them a competitive product and kind of becoming one of the conferences on the wayside? Because I think a lot of people are expecting and, uh, you know, the, the ones that are outside looking in are, are fear, fearful of a dominant two conference uh college football landscape you know maybe in like four or five years if not 10 years i don't know how long it's going to take but you know whether that be the sec and the big 10 and that's it or is there is there concern with acc uh fans acc teams that you know if they if we don't do enough now if we don't broker the deals now um we might find ourselves in a conference that's failing you know go, you know give it four or five years from now 
It's an interesting debate because I think if you asked a lot of Florida State fans, they would say the ACC has already failed, right? Mm -hmm. Part of this is rooted in a lot of issues. You know, the grant of rights extending through 2036, which I don't want to think about how old I'm going to be or if I'm going to be covering college football in 12 years. It's a long way off. Now, in theory, you can't leave the conference without giving up your broadcast rights in addition to hundreds of millions of dollars which not many booster bases can afford to raise that kind of just crazy money. Mm-hmm. But let's play it out. Let's say, like you said, four or five years down the road, what if Florida State's still really darn good and Clemson's really good too, but the money ain't coming in? At some point, you might get administrators and boosters and board of trustees members who say, okay, the gap has narrowed to the point where we we almost have to pay that money to get out to go to like you said the super conference and whether that's whether florida state and clemson and say north carolina maybe georgia tech maybe virginia who knows if they're better fits in the big 10 or the sec i've got my own opinions but it may just be you want to get to that conference that has the best payout that has the best tv deal that gives you the best shot to compete not just in football but it's in every other sport. And look, I know a lot of people don't care, but Florida State's playing in the Women's Soccer College Cup. Mm -hmm. To keep a good soccer program going, you need revenue. To keep a good women's basketball program going, you need revenue. So this is a football discussion, but it's so much about every other sport at Clemson, at Virginia. North Carolina's got what great field hockey, women's soccer, everything that's great about Carolina. That all matters from the what money's coming in the front door standpoint. But you have to also think about it this way, too. If your rival that you're competing against is, say, Georgia, Florida, LSU, they've got better facilities. They've got more money. They can pay more for head coaches. They can pay way more for assistant coaches. Think about all those dynamics. I mean, your human capital can be poached if you don't have the kind of money to compete on a say year in year out. So I think going back to your, your question, short term, Florida State Clemson, whoever they can survive, they can make it work. They can fundraise. As long as you're selling tickets, you got a ton of money coming in. It's enough. It's maybe not as, as much as your competitors. It's that long-term argument, man, the long-term doesn't look all that good. I mean, it's like you're, You've got sunny days, but you see the horizon and it's all cloudy and it's all just Mm -hmm. that nasty thunderstorm because you know kind of what you're flying into and it's just going to be a lot of rocky, rocky, you know, flights and landings for sure. No, that's an interesting part of it because even the men's teams, you you mentioned women's teams a lot, but even a lot of the men's teams uh, need need that money, need that revenue from football. I mean, it's kind of analogous to like hospitals, right? I mean, they say that all hospitals kind of work as a, at a deficit besides <laughs> surgery. It's kind of a similar idea, right? For for athletic programs to run, they need that revenue from football. And so you got to make sure that you play out these TV deals smartly to make sure that your team can still have enough money to support its whole athletic program and not just the football program. When you look at the Pac-12 this year, one of the reasons the Pac- well, the reason the Pac-12 is disbanding is because they couldn't reach a TV deal. And so let's hope that the ACC 
kind of figure out something over the next couple of years here. But it sounds like you do think the ACC will be disbanded eventually at some point. So if I'm what you're saying. I wouldn't exactly say disbanded. I think it's, I, I would put the the context of it as I, I will think, let's say 2030, I could see Florida State, Clemson, We've always thought Clint, uh, North Carolina and Virginia are something of a package deal. Virginia and Virginia, Virginia Tech, somewhat of a package deal based on their politics. I think we'll see some schools really test that grant of rights and arguably go to court over it. Mm-hmm. The difficulty there is we've never really seen this true contract to see what's in the language. And I think all lawyers are willing to go to court but until you know what's in that language and you know what you're up against legally, can you go to court and win it? For the ACC to survive long-term, you got to go to ESPN and say, we've got great schools in here right now and they're competitive, but they can't stay competitive four or five years down the road. How do you help us? How do you help us collectively? How do you help those kind of big brand schools? So, is the Pac-12 case sort of the canary in the coal mine where UCLA and, and Southern Cal were, were trying and trying and then just said, hey, guys, we're not going to Apple TV and Ion Distribution Network or whatever was discussed before, you know, before everything broke apart. Mm-hmm. I, I think there, there could be a little bit of they're seeing what's happened around the landscape and they're saying, okay, we've we've got a little bit of time to figure this out. But the ball's in ESPN's court in, in the end. Like you've got a contract and you're almost going back to ESPN saying, We we love you and we love your money, but you're not giving us enough money. So how can we get more? And and that's tough when ESPN's even struggling too. So it, it's it's there aren't easy solutions. I think we've hit all the easy solutions for money, and now we're we're going into the kind of those harder discussions. How do you think the ACC did uh, to the, uh, this year, uh, just overall? Do you think they uh, managed expectations, uh, did even better, did worse? I mean, because Duke, North Carolina, both kind of were teams that started out really, really hot, really nice, and now, uh, all, you know, the they kind of went off a little bit as the year came to an end. But, I mean, Clemson obviously didn't play very well. Virginia Tech, even for their standards, and Miami as well, didn't play – super well either so what was your overall takeaway from just the ACC as a conference in general this year especially just again in light of all the conference realignments we just had uh you know this you know this year coming in and then especially next year I think Louisville was sort of the dark horse in this conference to do well because their schedule didn't have Florida State or Clemson in the regular season everybody thought well Jeff Brom's going to come in hit the portal, and he could be really good right away. And he was. Good job by Louisville, right? Mm -hmm. The Clemson issue is they lost too many games early. We saw the flaws in Clemson. Good job on them for rallying, but but eight and four doesn't really get it done in the national picture. I think what the ACC really needs, yes, it's great what Mike Elko did at Duke, and it got him a job at Texas A&M. What the ACC needs is for Clemson to be really really good and that brand needs to be top 10 top 15 it needs a miami to be similarly it needs north carolina to have a drake may but also a defense that can back him up and be top 10 top 15 good 
it's a cool story when when like Wake and Dave Clawson do great because we all, oh, look at cute little Wake and what they're doing and how many wins they have. They're great stories, but I'm not sure nationally that really moves the needle enough for a fan watching, say, eight states away, right? So it, it's about brands, unfortunately. And I think that's where the ACC is. You've got to figure out a way to make your brands the best in their respective sports. And I will say it's also about men's basketball too. Like you need North Carolina to be really good in men's basketball mm -hmm. and Duke and Virginia. And Miami's done a great job in men's hoops, obviously too. But yeah. it's all about your brands, I think, being the best that they can be. And Miami wasn't good enough I don't think we expected Miami to go win 10 games, right? But they could have done a little bit better than than what they had done. Sure. Do you consider ACC a basketball school, mostly? A basketball or conference, conference, mostly? Conference, excuse, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think outside of Florida State and Clemson circles, I think most fans will say we care about basketball much more than football. Mm -hmm. Now, when Jim Phillips first got here as the commissioner, he often said, that's got to change. That mindset, you can be as good as you want to be in basketball. That's great, but you've got to be better in football. So we have seen schools that have elevated through coaching hires. Like again, Mike Elko was a great hire for Duke. They've got to go do it again. Football has to be so good in this conference that the, the stigma of the ACC changes. And I, I think nationally outside of the acc's states i do think there's a lot of people who say eh, outside of florida state and clemson i i don't know who florida state and clemson are beating for example mm -hmm. like i think there's a lot of viewpoints of it's not good enough those wins over other acc schools don't stack up nearly like like the sec wins do yeah. but we're seeing that perception too with michigan like you mentioned earlier you know who did Michigan really beat that was very, very good up until that Penn State game, up until the Ohio State game? So they're even facing a perception issue. So I think it's about building that, was it the depth of your conference? Yep. It's something that all of these conferences have to figure out. Well, Bob, this has been amazing. I do want to ask you one more question. Leading into, you know, Louisville and then hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, either Sugar Bowl and then uh, Rose Bowl, whatever it may be, hopefully, uh, you, know, you know, the weeks after that. What does Florida State have to do just in general, going back to the football team and kind of logistically, specifically speaking about the football team in general? Like, what do they have to do to ensure that they can, uh, you know, have success uh, coming down here going into December? I think against Louisville, I've often said that you have to play well around the quarterback. It's not just the quarterback's job to win you games, to put you in position to win games. With a backup quarterback, even though a guy who's been here four years, you have to play really, really well around Tate Rodemaker. It's about the run game. It's about not dropping passes. It's about making the acrobatic catches that we know Keon Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson can make. Defense got to make some stops. I mean, defense is going to have to straight up shut down that run game of, of Louisville. Shut down is probably the wrong word to say. But, I mean, you have to make enough stops, enough three and outs. You don't want to be in a shootout with Louisville. This game gets in the 30s. That's not the neighborhood of a Florida State without Jordan Travis. Right. Lower scoring is going to be better. 
Now, will they make the playoff? I do think they'll beat Louisville. I And that's not just me being a guy who covers Florida State. I mm-hmm. think they're just a better team. Yes, you take Jordan Travis out. You have a lot of questions about Florida State. But I do think they'll play well enough around Tate. I think if you win this kind of game against Louisville, say 27 to 20, I think you take it. You take your ACC trophy. You say that's good enough for the college football playoff committee. They're in. I will argue, though, I'm not sure how great they match up against Michigan or Georgia without a Jordan Travis. Fully admit it because you have to ask that question, right? I mean, you have to ask how that team looks without a Jordan Travis. And that's the unfortunate reality, but it shouldn't discredit you got to 12 and 0 and you might get to 13 and 0. I think those have value to just how well the season played out. So it sounds like I mean people people know that Rodemaker's not as good as Travis, but it's not really a, the issue of people don't trust in Rodemaker. They just understand that he's not as good as Travis. It's kind of like an in between. It's not a it's not a we have no faith in Rodemaker but we just know he's not as good as Travis. He's kind of like a in-between from no faith to, you know, taking us to the promised land. I, I say it this way. There's there's a luxury to having a fourth-year backup, a guy who's been in yeah. practice for yep. four years. When you look at a, a college football team now and they lose a quarterback, like Florida played Max Brown, a redshirt freshman. You look at how many redshirt freshmen are having to be thrown in out there because of an injury or because of some other circumstance where you just have to throw a guy out there and he ain't going to be ready with that much practice field time. Yep. The issue with Tate is the same issue as every college quarterback. It's dudes only had a hundred college throws under his belt. And man, do you want to hire a pilot with thousands of hours in the cockpit or a pilot who just got his license? And I mean, he just got the license, you know? Mm-hmm. you want somebody with experience. And I think that's what, that's the difference right now is just sure. Jordan had all that time in the cockpit, whereas Tate's just getting settled in, getting everything buckled in and he knows what the instruments do, but man, it just doesn't feel the same just yet. That's, that's just the difference. It, it's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I mean, he, I think before he came in to start after Trav, uh, Travis's injury uh I think he only had one one start and that was a loss I think to an FSS team right Jacksonville State I think I'm not remember if I'm not back in 2020 it was a long time ago but yeah I mean it it shows you it shows you he had to wait a long time to get to here and he might I mean to your point too and he might be very good it's just there's not enough tape there's not enough tape to really say that yet but I mean hey he could be very very good it's just time will tell and I'm rooting for Florida State I really am I I hope they do well this week in uh, weekend in Louisville and then ultimately end up going to the football playoffs, Bob. I really do. So it's been fun to watch. It has. No, yeah, but fun team to watch for sure. And like I said, I, I am rooting for the ACC as well, just in general. And so to have a team go to the playoffs this year from the ACC would be, would be awesome. Would be fantastic. Well, Bob, man, this has been awesome. I really thank you for your time. Uh, really fun talk, talking some Florida state ACC too. Um, we'll have to do this again sometime. We'll be in touch. Have you on again, okay? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, Bob. You take care, all right? We'll talk soon. You too. Okay, let's finish up with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, start us off. What is your intake of the week? My intake of the week is Paul Feinbaum's take, saying Georgia will make it to the college football playoffs 
even if they lost to Alabama. Completely agree. Alabama almost losing to Auburn at Jordan Hare Stadium, winning 27 to 24 during that game. And Georgia has been playing much better than Alabama, obviously, and they pretty much earned the right to get the number one seed, especially if they win the SEC championship this Saturday in Georgia in, at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm going to go with my intake for the week. Everyone, we've, we've talked about it before on this show as well. Um, everyone who is saying that the 12-team playoff expansion is good for the college football, I don't think many people are saying it's bad. Uh, maybe the truest, maybe the old school uh College football fans are saying it, but I i know, Zach, you feel the same way. Justin, you like it too. Uh, I think it's great for the sport. It's going to be awesome next year. But in particular, you look at this year, I mean, you have teams uh, that are not going to make it. Like uh, Texas probably won't make it. Washington might not make it. I mean, you got Alabama might not make it. FSU. You got a lot of these teams that really, really should be making it and just are not going to make it. Teams like o, uh, OSU, Bama, Texas, Oregon, they might all be penalized for losing a game against a top team and may not have a shot to make up for it when they actually are truly are probably the best team, one of the best teams in the nation. But again, they, they won't be able to showcase that, won't be able to show that uh, this year in the playoffs because it's only, of course, only four teams make it. Um, yeah, so I know we've already kind of touched on it at length. I'm just kind of reiterating it again here, but I can't wait for next year. Uh, 12, 12 team playoff going to be great for college football because all these teams that should be in it will actually be in it now. And it's going to be just great for the sport overall. Yeah. Zach, what is your intake of the week? Yeah. How about Texas A&M fans revolting about Mike, uh, Mark Stoops. It seemed like he was going to be the head coach of Texas A&M. Like that's not a guy that if you're going to pay a coach 77 million to go away. That's not a guy you hire. Mike Elko, I think is a very good coach seeing what he did at Duke last year. He won nine games this year. They've won eight. And obviously we know Duke is a really hard place to win, but it just doesn't feel like a home run hire. And Texas A&M's got oil money out the wazoo, as evidenced by how much money they paid Jimbo Fisher. You're going to pay a guy that much money to go away, then you need to hire a home run guy, hire a big-time coach. I think Mike is very good. I'm not sure that he's necessarily a big-time coach worthy of paying a guy $70 million to not coach. So tech, all the Texas A&M fans that revolted, I, I think in this instance they have a right. If you're going to – you're going to go all in. You got to show it. And I'm not sure the Texas A&M has showed that they're going all in. Would you say this, that Hugh Freeze would have been a better hire say Texas A&M paid him more yeah. money than, uh, the, than this well, guy? Well, as long as Hugh Freeze doesn't uh, bring his defensive coordinator that called whatever the hell that was on fourth and goal at the 30. Yeah. No, Hugh Fre- I think he would have been. Yeah, Hugh Freeze is a yeah. very good coach. Yeah. Uh, outtakes. Justin, what is your outtake of the week? My outtake of the week is Stephen A. Smith saying he is concerned about the Lions. I know we've kind of touched on that, but uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too concerned about the Lions' future. But for this year, obviously, I would be concerned for their chances as a Super Bowl contender in the NFC, especially going in as I said, to Philadelphia, or even playing the San Francisco 49ers as well. Zach, me and you might have the same outtake, um, but I'm going to go with people saying that Ryan Day should be fired from Ohio State after losing this past weekend. Um, Day is 56-7 and all-time OSU, 10-5 and against ranked opponents. Yes, 0-3 against Michigan at this time, but definitely, definitely leading the team in the right direction. 
Uh, he's led this program to the playoffs, obviously, and continue and continuously has put up impressive seasons his entire time there. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's definitely the right option for OSU right now. Not going to get a better coach than Ryan Day. Yes, people are upset, especially Ohio State fans. Zach, I know, are probably upset him losing to Michigan three times now. They're not but, thrilled again. No, not thrilled. And but his resume again, is still impressive. I know that's kind of the that is the that. Would you say as an Ohio State fan, that's the only game that matters, Zach, all season? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, especially. I mean, especially with how good they are, because they're expected to win every other game. But yeah, and like I said, fifty-six and seven his whole time at OSU, and then uh, ten and five against ranked opponents. So still pretty good. Uh, definitely the right guy at, for Ryan Day. I mean, would you say that, Zach? I mean, you're the you're the. Ohio yeah, State I'll share my. I'll you? save my thoughts for Wednesday because I've got plenty of them. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you might not think that. Then. Uh, All right. I, I'm cool. mixed. I don't know. A little bit of a teaser. I'm not. Okay. I don't think it should be fired. No, but yeah, I've got other thoughts. <laughs> okay, coming up on Thursday then. What is your outtake though? Yeah, so, outtake? so that makes people uh, make sure you tune in Wednesday. There's, that's what we okay. call a tease in the business. Um, no, my uh, my outtake is going to be uh, you know everybody that doubted the Broncos. Like give Sean Payton an apology. Give Russell Wilson an apology. These guys. Know what they're doing. There's a reason Sean Payton is a Super Bowl winning coach, and there's a reason Russell Wilson was a Super Bowl winning quarterback. These guys know what, what it takes to get it done in this league, and it really is one of the most impressive in season turnarounds we've seen in a long time. They were one in five. This is a team that gave up seventy points. The first team that ever gave up seventy points in an NFL game since 1966, and yet this team could make the playoffs. And it's very realistic because their schedule is pretty manageable down the stretch. Their defense is very good. And Russell Wilson is playing with as much confidence as we've seen since he left Seattle. So everybody that doubted the Broncos, uh, yeah, that's the outtake this week. This team is absolutely legit. And, you know, two AFC West teams might actually make the playoffs, but we all thought it was going to be the Chiefs and Chargers. No, it's probably it's going to be the Chiefs, but I think it might be the Broncos. Yeah, uh, not the Chargers. No, I mean, char- they're in last. <laughs> yeah, and Broncos play the Chargers uh, two weeks from now. Yep, uh, they still Texas have to play them that. twice. I don't think uh, that's right. Yeah, that's all, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, but yeah, now I'm looking at their schedule now. Overall, pretty manageable. Next week will be the Texans. Uh, that's gonna be a tough. Oh, game, that's gonna be a good game. The, that defense against the Texans. Stroud. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Texans will ultimately win that game. We'll we'll talk about that obviously at length on on Saturday. But Texans are obviously coming off a loss. They're not gonna be very happy about that. They could potentially beat the Chargers twice with how the Chargers are playing. They could definitely probably beat the Chargers twice. Lions, uh, three weeks from now, that might be a little bit of a tough game. But then they they play the Patriots and then the Raiders to finish off the season as well. So yeah, I mean, like I like we said, I think nine wins maybe might get an AFC team into the playoffs with a wild card. I know the Dolphins were a nine team, uh, you know, a a nine win team last year and they made the playoffs. So that might at least at least ten or at least nine, but maybe maybe nine might get you in. So we'll see what happens with the Broncos going down here. Nine and eight gives you a shot. Ten and seven gets you in. Yep, for sure. All right, guys, good show. We'll be back on Thursday. College football, like we always do, we're gonna break down all things college football, um, recap and preview for uh, the uh, you know, for championship weekend coming up. And uh, but until then, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. But keep on traveling.